HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. You may have noticed that one Whole Foods Market store is not like the other. We're proud that each of our stores has its own quirks, a direct connection to the surrounding community, and buys and sells their own products. Whether it's artisanal chocolates exclusive to Bowery, small batch pickles in Chelsea, or a featured craft beer on tap at West 97th, you'll find that each store is a little bit different than the next. With six Manhattan locations, Whole Foods Market offers a taste of every neighborhood. Come see us in Tribeca, Bowery, Union Square, Chelsea, Columbus Circle, or the Upper West Side. Open seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. For more information, visit www.wholefoodsmarket.com. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. And uh, I wanted to start out this, this week's show with um, a new product report. I'll be giving you new product reports periodically, keeping you up to date on all those things that hit the market. Now, this product is, it's a food. I count it as food. It's okay. I, you know, it's a food. I eat it. I actually really love this food. And um, it's not a food I have any real issues with, per se, especially now that the corn syrup has been removed from this food. And if you are old enough, like I am, to remember the Reagan years, oh, those Reagan years, this food counts as a vegetable, too. And you know from listening to me in the past that I support vegetable consumption wholeheartedly, 100%. But this product report isn't so much about whether this is a food or foodiness. This is a product report really more about convenience and how we as humans are totally motivated and driven by convenience. Now, this week's show is actually called An Inconvenient Food because food is inconvenient, real food, 
not the easy to grab thing, the pre-made thing, but food, real food. You know, it's inconvenient because you have to make an effort to get it. And that's an effort that we as humans have made, you know, pretty valiantly for like 100,000 years. But now we seem kind of stymied by that. So anyway, what's this product? Well, um, this product is the newly designed ketchup packet introduced today by you-know-who biggest ketchup producer. I don't want to name names because I don't want to get sued or anything, but you know who I mean. Um, The ketchup packets that are ubiquitous in all fast food restaurants and takeout. Now, we're all familiar with the standard 9-gram ketchup packet. Did, did you know that it's a nine gram ketchup packet? <laughs> Who knew there were nine grams of ketchup in that little packet? Me neither. So the ketchup packet engineers started getting reports from the fast food chains that their French, that their drive through French fry orders were starting to decrease. People are still, of course, going through the drive through now more than ever, but they're ordering fewer and fewer French fries. And, Fewer french fries, of course, means fewer ketchup packets being sold to the chains. Um, So, you know, there's a serious problem developing here. So in step, the ketchup packet engineers, or packeteers, as I've named them. And, um, you know, they need to do some research. So the packeteers do lots of research. They actually set up a lab with fake minivans for people to sit in behind a one-way mirror, you know, very like Mad Men advertising research, fake minivans. And they recreate the drive-through fast food experience. And it turns out that most people are not ordering fries in their drive-through order because the opening of the ketchup packets and subsequent applying of ketchup to fries creates too much of a mess and is too difficult and too inconvenient to do while driving, which is when the majority of French fry eating is actually done. People eat the most (laughs) French fries in their car while driving. So driving a car whilst eating fries, one cannot apparently apply ketchup successfully to said fries. Very inconvenient, if you ask me. So the packeteers did all their research and they, you know, were probably paid a lot by the ketchup companies and the fast food companies and they re-engineered the ketchup packet. This is the first change in the design of the single serving ketchup packet since the introduction of the ketchup packet in 1963. Now the new one is three times the size because most people take three packets of ketchup per order of french fries. This one is three times the size, but they're actually finding now that people are taking three of these, so that's a problem. But this new ketchup packet is shaped like a little bottle. It's shaped like the ketchup bottle. It's semi-flat, and it has two application choices. One end of the packet, the kind of neck of the bottle end, can be torn off, and the ketchup can be squeezed out like the classic packet. But now, at the other end, you can actually lift up the plastic from the surface and peel it off, And the packet actually becomes a little dipping cup, like a little vessel. So now you can dip and eat as you cram fries into your mouth while you're driving. Very convenient. No more drippy mess. No more squirting the ketchup into your mouth and then adding fries, which apparently a lot of the people in the research were doing. You just peel it back, 
set it on the seat beside you and start dipping those fries while you're driving. And you can also do this in between sending all the texts that you're sending while you're driving. Even more convenient. So really, life just keeps getting better and better every day as we have these new innovations introduced to us. We're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about convenience and inconvenience. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. So I'm talking about an inconvenient food tonight. And um, as I was saying in the previous segment, there's been a breakthrough in ketchup packet technology. And it's made what was seen as an inconvenience more convenient. And I think that just makes life better for all of us. But um, humans haven't always had it so easy. Once upon a time, we had to actually work for our food. Food was extremely inconvenient way back when. We had to really work for it, either roaming the savannas of Africa, hunting and gathering whatever we stumbled upon, or once we invented agriculture, hoeing rows of grains and greens, you know, once we figured out that we could do that. And it was quite a workout, both of those activities, hunting and gathering or farming. Such a workout. Not a fun workout and a way harder workout than like a spin class or hot yoga or Zumba. But we had no choice. Farm, forage, hunt, fish, gather or perish. It was hard, hard work. But, you know, a girl's got to eat, right? And so we did it. We didn't really question it. We had no we had no choice. We had no option. Food was hard to get. Food was inconvenient. But we got it. We survived. And it stayed that way for most of human history, basically up until I'd say the Industrial Revolution came along, maybe 150 years ago, and that changed the game forever. That made food way more convenient. So machines and industrialization of food production changed everything. You know, we had tens of thousands of years to learn how to produce our food and hunt it and trap it and all that. And then everything changed. Industrialization changed it all. And it made our lives so much easier and so much better. Now food was plentiful. And because it was so plentiful, it was getting cheaper by the year. I mean, we as people, we were psyched. Human beings were really psyched. No more long hours toiling in the fields with an ox and a plow, all bent over and aging really fast from all that hard labor. Not to mention all the sun exposure you were getting. Not to mention the fact that the ox might kick you in the face and kill you in the process. So now we had machines and we had chemicals and we had irrigation systems to do all of that work for us, thanks to the Industrial Revolution. And we were able to produce tons and tons of food for way less effort than we had ever had to put into it in history. 
And we were producing piles of food. We produce so much more food than we ever know what to do with. And so the prices of the food started to come down, 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 down. So low that we had too much and we had a stockpile and we needed to use it up. So what did we do? We turned to science because this is America and we, up until very recently, embraced science. Especially all the science that was left over after World War II. Once we kind of quieted down the war machine after World War II, we had all these bomb-making nerds who were suddenly idle and needed something to do. We had all these well-trained scientists and all this stockpiled scientists, science, and we had to do something with it. So those scientists started to invent things that were made out of all that food. So we took all this surplus stuff and we started to turn it into other types of food, foods like corn syrup and cheese doodles. And the science and technology that had produced so much food in the first place and helped us to overcome problems of shortages and starvation, now turned from how to create as much food as possible into how to turn it into all sorts of non-food. Foodiness, basically. Now, foodiness, of course, if you didn't listen to last week's show, is food that looks like food. It's called food. It's even made sort of from food, but it really isn't food. And even though millions of dollars in marketing is spent in convincing us that these items are food, they're not really food. So an example, if you aren't sure of what I'm talking about, is that yogurt is food. Yogurt that is flavored and colored with tricks, cereal, and market to kids, that's foodiness. And on my website, letsgetrealshow.com, I have what I'm calling a flog, which is my foodiness blog, and you can check out descriptions of foodiness. I actually break it down into six degrees of foodiness. Last week's post talks a lot about foodiness, so you can get a good picture of what foodiness really is. So no more field work, for sure, but also no more harvesting, picking, winnowing, cleaning, drying, smoking, preserving, or even cooking was necessary anymore either. And especially cooking. I mean, what a drag was that to have to actually not only grow your food, pick it, process it, dry it, smoke it, whatever you're going to do. But then you actually had to cook the stuff too. Now that these scientists had not only enabled us to create so much food without any effort, and now they were turning it into food products that required no effort. All that we had to do was sit back and eat these newfangled, wonderful, modern space age foods that wasn't so inconvenient or so difficult to produce anymore like food was. And actually, it was super convenient to acquire and to eat this stuff. And so we ate it. We embraced it and we ate it and we ate it. And boy, did we eat. There was so much and it became so convenient. And look at us now. Look what's happened. We have food right at our fingertips. Everywhere you turn. You cannot look anywhere and not see food somewhere. There's fast food outlets everywhere. There's a supermarket here, a convenience store there. There's a vending machine. I mean, I teach in a culinary school, and we have a vending machine in the hall outside of the kitchen. (laughs) But it's great. We have food everywhere. I mean, you barely have to elevate your heart rate now to wrap your pudgy fingers around a snack or a treat or a meal. We don't have to do anything to get our food. And it's great. It's made us the richest nation on earth, the strongest, and the fattest 
nation in the world. And so all that technology and all that progress and everything, it's made us this way. And now we're really paying for it because you ever wonder why your health insurance costs so much? Because those of us who still make the effort to find food and cook food and eat real food are subsidizing everyone who's now living off of foodiness. Because foodiness is really easy, but food is really hard. And foodiness is convenient, and real food, not so convenient. It's a really big pain. Even I admit it, I know. It's a big pain to go to a store or a market and buy stuff that isn't in shiny foil wrappers versus buying like raw meat or a drippy chicken or like microwavable single-serving packages of like a pre-cooked veg medley instead of like a big sandy bunch of collard greens or like a jetpack puffy plastic pouch of pre-made burrito fixins versus like a little pile of dry hard beans that might have pebbles in them and might actually be dangerous for you. And then, not to mention, you have to actually take all that stuff home and you have to do really boring, drudgy kind of things like peel or cut or boil water. And then you actually have to cook. Now, who cooks anymore? You know anyone who cooks? And then there's the whole, like, plate and fork issue. I mean, those things have to be washed. They don't just attach a plastic fork to every bunch of Swiss chard. It doesn't work that way. I know, because I actually bought some Swiss chard today. There was no plastic fork attached to it. And that was kind of a drag. Anyway, we're going to take another quick little break. And when we come back, talk about making food maybe a little more convenient. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Weitz, your host. So we've made real food completely inconvenient. The name of the show this week, An Inconvenient Food. I mean, how much easier is it to buy the processed or the frozen or the jar or the package? The foodiness stuff is so easy and shiny and simple and clean. And the label says it's got fiber and added vitamins and all that. So it's still really technically food. Now, I know as a chef and a teacher and a professional food talker and smartass, which is sort of what I am, that you can talk and talk and talk to people about food until they are Trix yogurt blue in the face. But it's not going to make them drink the organic Kool-Aid. There's a hardcore crowd of us loudmouths out here out there and I think that some of our loud mouthing probably turns off a lot of people I mean I'm in that hardcore crowd of the ones who I only buy my eggs from a farmer and I only buy organic milk and I don't drink any soda and I won't eat strawberries out of season and I keep bees and I wish I had urban chickens and I can only do that because I'm really lucky to live where I live and teach at a culinary school and I have access to farmers markets every day of the week in my city but it's totally unrealistic 
to expect that of most Americans. And I would say most people probably pr- find it pretty offensive if I suggest that they make those sorts of changes in their lives. But, you know, let's get real, so to speak. Who who can really do that? I mean, I said this last week that I think that, you know, Brooklyn and Berkeley and maybe there's a few other places in between where all of us smugsters live. But it's pretty hard elsewhere. I mean, my mom lives in Florida, and when we go to her local Publix, her local supermarket, their produce section is a pale shadow of what I can get up here. And how ridiculous is that, considering most of that produce that I'm getting up here is grown in the fields right around where she lives. But it's not actually sold there. It's all shipped up north. I have cousins in Indiana, too. It's the same thing. Like, sometimes they can get really good stuff, but I wouldn't say all year round, like here. So what are you supposed to do? Should you succumb to foodiness? Should you live the convenience life? Or should you make the effort and grow your own and keep a cow in your backyard and only eat organic? Well, I don't think those are the only two extremes. This is not a, like a, this is not the same as American politics of the 21st century. Okay, we can have compromise. We're not polarized. There can be a middle ground. We can find consensus. I think the arugula eaters and the iceberg eaters can come together and unite for a better America. Food or foodiness, it's not an absolute choice. Of course, I would always vote for and choose food, but I'm okay with compromise. I think there's a way to find a balance. I don't think you have to alienate and exclude one side or the other. You need to choose your battles wisely when it comes to food, just like in life. So maybe you find a few ways to begin. Maybe you switch to organic milk first as like your gateway food. Yes, it's more expensive, but ultimately you're paying for better farming, a better environment, better health for your family, especially for women. You really want to be careful about non-organic milk because it can be so full of hormones. And then maybe, and I'm going to do a show down the road all about organic milk. You're going to know more than you'll probably ever want to know. And then maybe once you, you know, start drinking the organic milk, that's like your gateway food, maybe you'll stop wasting money on vitamin-enhanced water, which is just water (laughs) in a cool-looking bottle with a little bit of color added to it. And I even succumb to that. I think the colors of those waters are so beautiful that it makes me want to buy them. But I don't because I'm too cheap to buy that. But that vitamin-enhanced water, it's not really benefiting you in any way. It's benefiting your toilet more, and it's benefiting all the fish in the ocean because you're just peeing away all those synthetic vitamins that are added to the water. You're not really getting anything out of them. The vitamins really have to be in the food that they come from. They have to be sort of within their natural source for you to get the benefit from them. So basically, you're just peeing vitamins away. And that's all going out into the ocean, and that's doing all kinds of damage to sea creatures and sea life out there. So there are little ways to tilt the balance from foodiness to food. Like you could buy unsweetened plain yogurt and add in your own stuff. You could add in some honey, or you could add in a little bit of jam and kind of take the sweetness down a couple of notches. You can kind of ratchet it down gradually if you're really hooked on the sweetness and you want to get yourself off of that. Start by adding two tablespoons and maybe cut back slowly. You can actually train yourself off of that. 
you don't have to eat the stuff they sell in the store that has like it almost looks like pie filling like canned pie filling for fruit in the bottom those globs of pie filling and that yogurt is thickened with all kinds of starches because they've used starches to substitute for the dairy fat that dairy fat's actually pretty good for you and while you're at it like Stop eating that yogurt that's artificially sweetened also. I mean, seriously, if you care at all about your health or your future or your life, those artificial sweeteners are chemicals. They come from the chemical industry. Remember those post-war idol scientists? What do you think they did with all those post-war chemicals? Think about it. There was no place else to put them, so they turned them into fertilizer or they turned them into food additives. Do you want to be ingesting that? I don't think so. So what I'm suggesting is that you start moving the meter very gradually. You don't have to move to Brooklyn. You don't have to live in Berkeley. You can move slowly from foodiness to food in a rational, doable way. Small steps, like Michelle Obama says. Like when you go to the store actually buying that drippy raw chicken and learning how to deal with it, how to cook it, how to handle it, or... The big bunch of sandy greens because I'll teach you how to wash them. I'll teach you what to do. I'll hold your hand. It's okay. You can do it. You don't need the garden. You don't need the beehive. It's not actually that hard once you start doing it. And, um, you know, remember, like last week I said this, your grandma, your great grandma, she did it. She probably was raising six kids and living in a, you know, one room apartment or living on a farm. And she did it. Of course, she probably dropped dead at 50 from too much work. But, you know, now we have modern science to keep us alive. So as we kind of move forward with Let's Get Real and into upcoming episodes, we're going to talk a lot more about that. And I'm going to kind of take you there. I'm going to be your guide. Like I said last week, I'm going to hold your hand and we're going to push the supermarket shopping cart down the aisles. And when we get to foodiness, we're going to run really, really fast and we're not going to look. And then when we get to the real food, we'll slow down and we'll take a look and I'll show you what to buy and what not to buy and what's really important to buy organic versus what you can totally skip. You know, like something like an avocado. Do you want to waste your money on an organic avocado? You really don't need to. The skin on them is so thick, you don't have to. Peaches, on the other hand, strawberries, I would not touch the non-organic ones. And we'll take a little trip to places like convenience stores and even fast food and drive throughs and even the most evil foodiness place of all, the airport. Although choices in airports are actually getting a lot better. Or what about when you fly and all they offer you is the food for sale and they offer you like the, the healthy option one, which turns out to be artificially sweetened yogurt and chocolate-covered raisins. <laughs> not that chocolate-covered raisins are so bad, but not exactly what I'm talking about. And so we'll do it together and we'll go down those supermarket aisles and we'll also talk about cooking and about how to kind of take care of all this food and process it and prepare it and store it and things you can do with it and how to save money and how to not waste money on foodiness. And we're going to make food convenient again. We're going to take away the inconvenience of food and we're going to make food convenient and fast food and foodiness inconvenient because it's really time to kind of reclaim food for ourselves You don't want to let those post-war scientists and all their scary chemicals dictate what you wind up eating. And so in between episodes, you can check out my new website, which is letsgetrealshow.com, like I said, and you can read the vlog. There'll be foodiness posts on the vlog every week. 
You can also become a fan on Facebook of the show. Just look for Let's Get Real on Facebook. And you can always leave comments on letsgetrealshow.com and also on the Heritage Radio Network site. And don't forget that also previous to Let's Get Real, I did a show called Why We Cook, and there are 99 episodes of Why We Cook on iTunes for you to listen to also. And Why We Cook was a show much more about cooking. Let's Get Real is going to be a show about finding, eating, and cooking food. So remember, if you don't want to eat shit, you better keep listening to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. Good night. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Heritage Meat Shop has just opened in the Essex Street Market. Open from 9 to 7, Monday through Saturday, and 10 to 6 on Sundays, the Heritage Meat Shop supports independent family farms and animal welfare-approved and certified humane raising standards. Most importantly, they offer a wide variety of heritage breeds. So stop by, get a sandwich, try the charcuterie. The Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market. The following is a message from Heritage Foods USA. 14 family farms and over 50 restaurants have committed to participation in No Goat Left Behind, a new program developed by Heritage Foods USA, a meat distribution company dedicated to preserving endangered breeds. Without an end market, the majority of male dairy goats are sold into the commodity market or killed at birth. Dairy farmers are always struggling with feed prices, milk prices, and weather. Goats usually have twins or triplets, and for every female who will become a milker, there is a male buckling who will become a financial drain. It makes no sense that these males are sold into the commodity market or put to death when the United States imports almost 50% of its annual goat supply. Home consumers interested in participating can order goats through HeritageFoodsUSA.com. They will receive goats via FedEx, and home delivery is available for New York City customers. In addition to the goat, these packages will also include recipes and a DVD featuring interviews with the farmers, processors, and chefs demonstrating how to break down and cook goat. Again, for more information on No Goat Left Behind, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com or call Aaron Fairbanks at 718-389-0985.